0: Cosmic Canvas Studio presents What Lies Between Sleep. Good evening, friends, and welcome to another episode of Dreamlights. I'm your obsessive host, Bernard Sanderson. I was a bit heated and dejected when I signed off last episode, which prompted me to take some, well, let's say, less than dignified actions. Namely, I wrote to my book guy, Frank, and asked if he would be willing to pass along a message, a desperate plea to the man holding the book I've been trying to get my hands on. A week ago, I received this missive from said client. Bernard, there is no point in trying to dissuade you, that much I know. Many have walked down the path you're going down, and they do not return. You will not either. Do not contact me again. I will not aid you in your self-destruction. Thrilling. Of course, this was almost to be expected, right? The guy was willing to help me out, but has no interest in giving me the means for my own obliteration. The roadblock was predictable, but I was getting desperate, you know? The actual cipher it seems to call to me every night. N- not literally, you know, I mean, I'm not hearing voices, but, but I can't stop thinking about it. What could I possibly learn from Plidwicks? if only I had the means to protect myself from her, right? So I decided to change gears. I wrote to Frank again with a list of topics I'm looking for. I told him to find me anything involving Plidwicks or the Ixwell Cipher. He was more than willing to help and said he'd get back to me in a few days. Sometime around midnight two weeks ago, I got this email. Master Bernard, I have retrieved two separate books mentioning the subjects he were looking to find. They were fairly easy to locate. Shall we agree to the price of 150 for the pair? So I bought them. I instantly replied and said yes. Then I sent the dude his check because he can't figure out how PayPal works. And he mailed them to me without hesitation. I don't know what kind of guy this Frank is, but he's a damned genius. So this is actually going to be a live unboxing here. I promise that I haven't opened them up yet. You know, now that I think about it, he didn't tell me the name of the books. Just said he had located them. Ah, well. I think he knew I wouldn't bother to ask, especially from the tone of the last email I'd sent him, begging for him to pass a message to Mr. M. Okay, here we go. Come on. Give me a second. There. Okay. First book. Hardcover, leather-bound. Pretty thick looking here. The Downfall of the Ixwill Society. Interesting. This is a second edition book printed in Pittsburgh in 1947. Ooh, lots of pages. Oh, look, there's a little slip that came with it. An insider's look at a failed occult society that sought to prove the supernatural, only to disband due to great tragedy. The writer, who remains anonymous, submitted this manuscript with the intent of providing a glimpse into the rise of spiritism in the 1920s. Though published, it never saw much fame due to the exaggeration of the supernatural experiences, which were decried by both collectors and historians as flights of fancy without the fancy. Ooh. That's an interesting take. It's pretty thick. Like a big old history book. Flipping through the pages, I'm not seeing anything that jumps out at me. Not quite the motherlode like the last book, but the Society does have the same spelling as the Ixwell Cipher, so they're most likely related. Ooh, here's the other book. It's an art book, from the 1960s, first edition. The Great Dreamer Awaits, illustrated by Gregory Lee and written by Priscilla Menendez. There's a slip on this one, too an art book produced by the journalist Priscilla Menendez, documenting a schizophrenic painter's journey into madness, creating a compelling chronicle about mental illness. Well, folks, looks like I've got plenty of material to keep all of us busy for the next few weeks. Okay, so I've got a choice between a large, dense book full of discussion about some occult society, or a picture book. Guess which one I'm going with first. Just don't tell my mom, for a number of reasons. The Great Dreamer awaits. Preface. To call Gregory George Lee a madman is to do a great disservice to his life and his work. I am not a medical professional. I cannot tell you how a man loses his mind, nor how this sickness spreads throughout our society. But what I can tell you is that the time I spent in the company of this beautiful man was the best time of my life. Gregory was thoughtful, smart, and well-composed. Even when the troubles began, he was keenly aware of what was happening. This project was his idea, that I would chronicle the changes in his head and help publish his art, even if he were to become too far gone to understand the events around him. It was hard to watch him in the end, his mental faculties so broken, his head so heavy he could barely lift it. When we talk about the word insane, we have this image of a frenzied man, leaping about, screaming and shouting. Few of us have the image as I do, a beautiful, thoughtful man, weeping and clutching his wrists for hours upon hours, unable to do anything other than let the tides of sorrow and melancholy consume him. The voices he heard were most unkind, all the way to the end. I'm putting this chronicle out there so that you, dear reader, may be able to learn from his work. That my testimony of who Gregory was would help you realize that those we call madmen, locked away in asylums, struggling to understand who they are and the thoughts that consume them, are the same people as you and I. The only difference is that we are blessed with sanity. Well said, Priscilla. Okay, here is the first chapter, Ascendance. Looks like there's going to be a few pictures of his art and then little blocks of text beneath each one. I'm also seeing some photographs, too, shot by Priscilla of Gregory in his studio. Let's see if... Huh. Well, th- well, there she is. Damn. The first entry. The Great Dreamer is the title of this painting, and it's the Sea of Stars. Plidwick's is looking down, looming over a bunch of bathing women. It's-, it's almost Greek in a way, except the colors of the sky are so psychedelic. Here's the blurb. He named her Plidwix. She came to him in a dream, and offered to take something of his in exchange for great and beautiful visions. At least, that is what Gregory told me the day I arrived in October, to do a small cover on his gallery opening. This strange and terrible woman would appear in many of his other works. It was at this time that the mental illness was beginning to manifest. Perhaps these dreams were the earliest indications of what was to come. Next page! It's a field of flowers, but huh yeah i recognize some of these they're symbols they're part of the cipher it's titled field of secrets the flowers form a pattern and there's a young boy sitting all alone in the center of the field his entire body a shadow except for his eyes it's like they're glowing boy do we wish this was a video podcast huh but i'm definitely not putting my face all over the internet so you'll just have to deal with my descriptions here's the next section I sat in and watched him paint this in one session. He was frenzied, working with such speed and precision. It was as if he were painting something he had seen before. I asked him about it, and he said that Plidwix had told him that in order to make a bargain, he would need to make the deal in the waking world, for dreams were often liars, and we are not ourselves. This kind of talk wasn't nearly as alarming as it may read, for he was such a charming fellow, you'd half believe the oddities he'd spout. Next page, some picture of a vase. And it's not even spoky. The blurb is just talking about his career as a gallery painter. wealthy well, family, pursued his passion, blah blah blah. Oh, I'm being really disrespectful here. Sorry. Here's another entry. A small photo. It's him painting another portrait of Plidwicks, half-finished. I returned home for a few days to publish the assignment, but he called me out of the blue and said there was something more important to show me. I came back hoping that he was interested in more than just documentation, but the thought of romance never seemed to cross his mind. Next page? Holy crap. He's sitting in an entire room full of paintings of the false mother. The exact same painting each time. No, wait, no. It's her eyes. Each one is looking in a slightly different direction. Whoa. I entered his studio to find 22 separate paintings of Plidwick's. He was joyous at what he had done. This was the secret, he told me. The secret to becoming like one of the great painters. For he had found passage to the red gate and had entered the place unspoken and unseen. He would bring back the images he saw to the waking and show us all true wonder. Next page. A photograph of him sitting in the doctor's office. He looks concerned. Sad. Something was wrong. I told him that I was growing concerned at his behavior, and he humored me. A doctor's visit was arranged, and he was given some pills meant to help soothe his nerves. Okay, we gotta take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Let's get into it. Next page. A painting of the Black Gate. Almost exactly how I've seen it. But the vines are different. They're more yellow here. The perspective is pretty far, as if he's watching from up above. Gregory told me that dreams weren't worth having anyway. That he would give them all away if he could continue to see such wonders. The great dreamer, he called her, would steal his dreams away. He couldn't dream of the thing that she took anymore. She was jealous and wanted any dream he had, even nightmares. And in return, he would be given these landscapes. (laughs) Wow. Okay, there are a bunch of different places here. Are all of these Giallo? A realm of pearls. This place looks like some kind of mountainous region, but the rocks seem jagged. Wrong. A little village with smoke puffing out of the buildings. But the sun glows purple. Look at these titles. The Sapient Garden. Myoth. The Home of the Ivory (laughs) Clawed. Here's the next excerpt. He started a series of twelve paintings. Each one a different location, painted in a single session, sometimes lasting up to two straight days. He was beginning to sleep less. The pills weren't helping. I continued to document this, with his permission, of course. Gregory was convinced he'd be one of the greats, and that my book would become famous because of him. After that, he promised he'd buy me dinner. Next page, more photos. He's thinner, more sickly. In a hospital bed, sitting by a tree, drinking water out of a drinking fountain. I found him collapsed in his studio one morning. He had been painting for three days straight while I had been away on business. I don't know how long he had been on the ground, but the doctors told me that he hadn't eaten in several days. Next page is just a bunch more photos. Priscilla's in them too. They're both really dressed up. He's looking healthier. Oh, it's a gallery premiere. Once he was able to finish the set, he became more reasonable for a time. He put the brush down and agreed to get some rest. I handled the business of setting up a showing of his work. I didn't want to be his agent, mind you, but I had been worried he would accidentally kill himself from exhaustion if he took the task upon himself. The gallery night was like a dream come true for him. One man, Daniel Fang, arrived promptly at the opening and purchased the entire set within five minutes of looking at them. Now, money was no object to Gregory, but the sheer fact that someone was willing to pay so much for his complete works was a sign to him. A sign that he was going down the right road. Next page. Oh, it's a full portrait of a nymph. Except she's not silver at all. She's yellow. A yellow nymph. I think they were mentioned somewhere in another book. I'll have to look that up later. This painting's a lot rougher. The line work is less defined. It's like she's bleeding into the background. He began painting once again. The great dreamer wanted more and more of his dreams, he tried to explain to me and he was giving away too many. He told me he didn't want to, but how else would he continue to create these works? Next page. A painting of a hospital. Unable to sleep for more than an hour at most, he was hospitalized again, this time voluntarily. Gregory was becoming keenly aware that something was wrong with him. They sent him to a psychiatrist, and within the month, he was in an asylum. Next page. Drawing made of charcoal, mostly of... Mundane hospital things. The face of a weary nurse. Tables. A television set. The stronger medication helped. They put him on antipsychotics, and for a while he was able to both sleep and eat. The art he drew was simple. Easy. But while his behavior was healthier, his mind was growing sicker. Next page. A photo of him, sitting next to her, head on her shoulder. I really feel bad for them both. They clearly seem to know what's happening. He told me on my last visit that he had made a mistake. The orderly had left salt in a bowl of water out too long, and he did the ritual to give up his last dream. It was a dream of music, the only thing that gave him comfort when he slept. Now he could no longer dream, he told me. He would be awake forever until he was taken away. He gave me one last drawing and told me he had given up everything to make this. Next page. (gasps) Here it is! The last picture! I I recognize him. It's black and white, but those pipes are unmistakable. It's Eshuel the Blind. Oh boy, finally. Finally, some mention of him. (sighs) This was his last work. There had been discussion of transferring him to a better facility, but my dear poor Gregory would die on September 19th, 1962. The cause? It wasn't the dreams or the nightmares, but a simple matter of neglect. One of the nurses, overworked and overtired, doubled his dosage, leading to spasms that ended in him choking to death. He lived a short life, full of promise, but cut down by a poorly dealt hand. His remaining work lives only in the hands of a private collector, and in this book. There will be many artists who come into the world, but none who are like Gregory George Lee. And that's it. Plenty of strange images and candid photographs of the life of an artist, but... But I got what I was looking for, I guess. Some external evidence that Eshuel really does exist. This picture, it's real! I just wish there hadn't been such a steep cost to drawing it. I, I think that's going to be it tonight, folks. This one hit me really hard, and I don't really want to bother with emails or-, or any of that. We've still got one more book to go through, and and then one very curious lead. I mean, come on, isn't anyone else wondering why Daniel Fang arrived instantly and bought all those paintings? It's got to be another lead. But... Until next time, this is, this is Bernard Sanderson saying, Time is short. Tell those who matter that you love them. And, and I love you guys. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. If you want to have one of your emails read by me on air, hop on Patreon and subscribe. Your support can help this podcast continue to grow and thrive. Check the show notes or head on over to www.whatliesbetweensleep.com for more info. And I'll see you next week.